Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Dominic Fifield of The Athletic, and Tony Hodson from the Coach's Voice platform. The Premier League has become a two-horse race for thoroughbreds. Manchester City continue to pile on the points. Liverpool do their best to keep up the pace. Their rivalry expands this week with the return of the Champions League. City are in Portugal to face Sporting in the last 16, while Liverpool play Inter Milan in the San Siro. It all begs the question, Dom, are these the best two teams in Europe, regardless of Chelsea being world champions? <laughs> well, I don't know how you can suggest that they are, because they haven't that they're not the reigning European champions and they're not the reigning world champions. So I think Chelsea supporters, of which I'm not one, but Chelsea supporters would, would probably quibble with, with the suggestion that, that Liverpool <laughs> and Man City are the best two teams out there. I think I think probably you need to draw a distinction between league football and cup football. I think Chelsea have, are showing that they're they're right up there when it comes to winning cup competitions. They they know how to do it on the big occasion, and that's you know that's even with the the FA Cup final last year in mind, and that the success that Thomas Tuchel has inspired there would suggest that they they are probably one of the best teams out there in terms of, of in terms of winning those those one off occasions and, and and progressing in cups with the league and the dominance at Manchester City and Liverpool to a certain extent, although. You know there is a big gap still between City and Liverpool. The consistency of of their league form and the way that they they, they have managed this season from a, a relatively slow start to get into that unbelievable sprint where they they, they won games every week for until Southampton rocked up. Um, that 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 will win them the league title and and that that suggests that they are the best squad maybe out there. Possibly the, the yeah, maybe they are the best squad in, in, in Europe, Manchester City. Maybe that, that gives them the depth, but it still means that they've got to get the right team on the pitch for a one off occasion in a cup fixture. Now that's not so much of a problem necessarily in at this stage of the Champions League, but it might be in, in the latter stages when they get to the semi finals and and a final as as was proved last season. Mm, yeah, it it does seem remarkable that it's been more than a decade since the last of Guardiola's two Champions League wins with Barcelona, Tony. You know, they've got a pretty good last 16 draw against Sporting. Is this Guardiola's time, do you think, this year? It's a good question, Mike, but I mean, I think we probably could say that for the last three or four seasons with City in the Champions League. I mean, if you go back, I was looking back at his at all of Guardiola's post-Barcelona era in the Champions League. He had three cracks with Bayern. The first one, they were battered by Real Madrid in the second leg of a semi-final. The second one, they were battered by Barcelona in the first leg of the semi-final. And then the third one, they, they went out to Atletico in the semis in a game they probably should have won. So he kind of came to City with this pedigree of of kind of not quite managing it outside Barcelona. He just continued that. And we've seen, haven't we, in, in, in take away the final last year, which I think, as Dom said, is, is a one-off against a really, really good cup team in Chelsea who, who were the better team. Other than that, they've thrown it away against Monaco in City's first season, which granted was a kind of development period for, for for Guardiola and City. But they still managed to lose on away goals after a 6-6 six, six 
kind of crazy two-legged affair in which a young Mbappe scored, even Fabinho, who's now one of the best strikers in Europe, got on the, got on the score sheet for Monaco in that in that tie. Then they dominated the Premier League and somehow managed to go to Liverpool. And I think I remember he kind of picked Gundogan in a kind of wide midfield defensive role at Anfield. It just went horribly wrong. And, and that they ended up losing both legs of that game to Liverpool. Then we go to Tottenham, which was just an absolute, and again, kind of a crazy game whereby he seemed to, he almost picked the reserves for the first leg because they were playing Brighton in the cup semi-final later that week. And he just seemed to make decisions that, that, that looked odd. Leon in the one-legged game during the COVID era and then gone to Chelsea. So it's kind of seven non-winning campaigns there in which he could have easily won three or four if he'd kind of made slightly more sane decisions. So I think if you talk to City fans, they don't talk about kind of missed opportunities. They talk about Pep kind of overthinking it and changing things. So the short answer to your question is, yes, it is his time, but it's also been his time for the last four, three or four seasons and they've not made it. So while you'd fully expect them to go through against Sporting Lisbon, as Dom said, in one-off cup ties later in the in the competition, you can see easily, just as easily see them losing again. Mm. Do you think, Dom, we, we almost read too much into City's ability, domestically anyway, to almost chloroform games and they win with a, the minimum of fuss. The individuals are, are secondary to the system. Is that sign uh, of a team and a club in harmony do you think i just think it's a sign of a of a, a team and a squad that knows exactly how guardiola wants them to play and and it's become second nature for them i mean some of the analysis from the from the win at norwich at the weekend the, the way that they target her and double up on a on, on a fullback it's just instinctive now they, they they do it in their sleep almost and that's that's down to brilliant coaching, and we. But that's not a surprise. We all know that that's that's what Pep Guardiola does, and his his staff are a second to none. That 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 team just just know how they want to play. But you know, as as Tony says, it's 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 a, it's the latter stages. It's the it's those aberrations. It's a, it's a, it, it's almost the decisions that that take them out of their comfort zone for no reason. There's no, you know, why why muddle things up? Why confuse the issue? You know exactly how the system works. Just stick with it because it will, because it's it's been proved domestically in England that it's it'll win you trophies. So I don't think this idea that there's something, you need something extra to win the Champions League. I think if you're a team of City's ability and an elite level, you probably don't. You probably just stick to what you're good at and it probably will win you the trophy eventually, but there is this sort of almost self-destructive trait in, in Pep where he feels as if he has to do something overly complicated. If he kept it simple, possibly, I mean, look, God, who am I to blooming? Well, let's just Pep Guardiola, though. It's nonsense, isn't it, really? I mean, he, he, he's, he's making these decisions because he feels that there is a particular threat posed by an opponent on the day, but I still can't get over the decision that the selection for the for the Champions League final last year. In fact, we, we were talking to Thomas Tuchel about it before Christmas and he admitted that when he saw the, the City team sheet, he couldn't believe that there was no defensive midfielder playing for City. And it's, it, it, almost, it almost threw him into a, a bit of a panic initially, but then he actually thought, well, actually, no, this is a massive advantage for us, and as it proved. Mm. You know, we talk about decisions. I suppose one's essentially been presented to him by the suspension of, of Carl Walker, Tony, you've got John Stones played at right back. Is he is he a viable long term option there? Do you think? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not not the way that Guardiola plays. I think he, the way he likes to set up with his. I mean, we've seen it over City a number of years now. One of those fullbacks comes inside and almost plays in a double pivot, and the other one tends to play as one of a back three, which which is what Stones could do at right back. But then uh, the right back that that. Pepper's played for so long is Kyle Walker, who has this incredible recovery pace and can actually join can join attacks as much as he can defend as well. I just don't think that's that's in John Stones' makeup, talented footballer though he is. I think it was very telling, wasn't it, that Joao Cancelo was nowhere near the pitch at the weekend against Norwich. He'll definitely start. So whether he plays at right back and, and they retain Zinchenko at left back or or for the away leg, keep Cancelo at left back and, and play maybe John Stones at right back, who knows? But um yeah, I don't. I think I think John Stones is a centre, but I don't think he would claim for a second that he's a potential viable option at right back. But if needs be, then I'm sure he can fill in there. Mm. I think one of the striking things about the modern player Dom is is their their ability to almost think outside borders. In other words, 
no, why don't I go and play in the Bundesliga? Why don't I go to America if I'm going to build my brand, in inverted commas, that way? I mention that because of Raheem Sterling. Not signed his new, any new contract. Guardiola has made nice noises about him over the weekend, which is unsurprising given that hat-trick against Norwich. You know, here's a player, 106 Premier League goals, two more than Didier Drogba. He sees his future abroad. Where? Wow, what a question. I mean, City see his future at Manchester City, I think, to be honest. They sounded quite confident that they'd get him tied down to a to an extension. <laughs> I, I well I I don't I don't know where I I, I suspect that well it, it would depend on what time what period of his career he's at when he when that option to go abroad comes around I mean if it, if it if it's one last payday if it's if it's I don't know go and be a a stellar signing for a, a club in in the US maybe I, I mean it could be. It could be anything, but it will be a massive loss to the Premier League if he if he if he up sticks and left anytime soon, because he's still got plenty to contribute over here uh, in the domestic league in England. Um, I, I, I admire I admire the sort of desire to go and play abroad, and and we've seen it a lot with the young the younger players, obviously going to the Bundesliga and learning their their trade there. Different kind of coaching, maybe, and and a different kind of structure, but also a different culture. I don't think it would be that kind of move for Raheem. It it would coming so late in his career, or much much later in his career, at least. I do wonder. You sort of naturally think that people gravitate west to the US, but but it just feels a bit of a waste to me because he's he's got so much so much talent still, and so much more to give to Manchester City and and I suspect if he ever left City there'll be plenty of English clubs that would be quite keen to take him on but yeah it's, it's 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 about lifestyle as you say it's about brand it's about what he wants to achieve post playing days as well because you can set yourself up for life with with that next move and making your presence felt in a different part of the world mm. you know there are so many different models in both individually and collectively out there Tony with sporting we we pretty much know you know where they are what they're based upon, which is this huge production line of players that they've been you know, churning out since well, Ronaldo, Nani and people like that. Does that turnover of players, do you think, count against them when they, they need to mount a consistent challenge in the latter stages of the biggest competitions? Yeah, I think, I think without question. I think there are, sporting at the moment are as good a team as they have been for some time. I think they've got a really exciting young coach in Ruben Amarim. He's somebody to definitely keep an eye on. Cut his teeth at Braga and has moved across. And he's really, they're, they're mounting a real challenge. They, I've used the word crazy already about 10 times on this podcast, but I'll use it again for the game they had against Porto at the weekend. <laughs> that was mad, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the, but the Porto subkeeper was sent off before the game even started. Pepe for Porto, who's been a pantomime villain now for about 35 years, managed to get C-Red as well. They went 2-0 up. They drew two all in the end. They couldn't hold on. That win would have gotten to three points behind behind Porto in the league. So they're having a real crack in the in the Portuguese league, and they've got some excellent players. I think we'll talk a bit about Pedro Gonzalez, who looks like um, kind of like you say the next off the production line. The rare example of a Portuguese player who left Wolves rather than rather than went there. But I think they just don't. Have, you know, they, they play a back three attacking wing backs, and one of their back three, Sebastian Quartes, the big Uruguayan defender who. Hardly pulled up any trees when he was at Liverpool, albeit as a much younger player. So I think you're just looking at a slightly lower class of player who shouldn't give Man City any problems over two legs. But but they're a good team who play good football, so it might be an enjoyable tie. That 2-2 draw in Porto, by the way, on Friday night was one for the ages. Five players sent off, four in a brawl in added time. 40 people involved, including the ball boys, which is a new one on me. Back to more mundane issues, I suppose we can put it like that, Dom. Defensively, they've conceded nine in two group games to Ajax. How significant is that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I just can't. I can't see them holding back City over two legs. There'll be periods of of the of the game in Portugal where I imagine that they'll they'll make an impression, but but over two legs, no chance against City, unfortunately. I mean, bearing in mind that, I mean, going back again to to Chelsea last year, Chelsea played Porto in the in the Champions League, and 
and were pretty comfortable. I know they lost the, the home leg one nil to a last minute goal, but I mean it was it was a really comfortable win. Was it the home leg? I mean, they won, lost one of the legs one nil, but I mean they they were never really in danger in, in the tie. And and Porto, for all that that was a, a close game last Friday against Sporting, Porto are unbeaten. They've only they've drawn three games and won every other league game they've played in Portugal this year. So there's there's still a little gulf there to to reach that level for for Sporting. So I just can't I just can't see can't see City having too many problems over two legs against them. To be honest. Mm, yeah, Liverpool meanwhile are in the San Siro on Wednesday to play into you know. That stadium showing a few scars now, but you'd never confuse it with Turf Moor, would you? Uh, with the greatest respect to Burnley, that win at Turf Moor, Tony, on Sunday, an ugly win by common consent, but is a win like that almost as significant in its way as you know a you know a beautiful sweeping attacking performance? I think so. I think I, I think there's a, you could see it full time that. Everyone was absolutely delighted with it. You know, Klopp was, I mean, Klopp goes to the fans after every game with the three fist pumps, but felt to be a little bit more passionate. He absolutely hates going to Burnley. He's not the only one, I don't think, but get, getting a win is, is crooked. Liverpool have a pretty good record there, actually. We've got more problems with Burnley at home, but um, it was just a really controlled performance. The number of chances Burnley created was actually looked more than it was because so many of them were eventually kind of moments later flagged for offside. I think. Does that does that absolute call for Liverpool? Allison in goal. When 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 Burnley did get through, Allison stopped everything that came his way. Van Dijk and Matip look as good a centre half partnership as there is in Europe, and they've got that protection for Fabinho. This is everything that, of course, Liverpool didn't have last season when their centre backs were missing for so much of the season, and they just looked vulnerable constantly. This is exactly the kind of foundation on which Liverpool do base their stability. Their defensive record historically is very good. Obviously, they, can, they, they do concede goals because they, they push up so high and if teams can get in behind and into the gaps their fullbacks leave, they can be vulnerable. But um, that was a very solid performance against Burnley. They'd expect to go to the San Siro and get a result. Yeah. Insa, you know, they've done decently since the end of the group stages. The only blip being a, a 2-1 loss in the Milan derby, Dom. Yeah, and, and a name redolent probably of another generation almost, Edin Dzeko. He scored in that one-one draw at Napoli on Saturday evening. You know, they are doing well in Italy, but again, can they translate that into European competitiveness? Do you think? Again, I, I, I suspect there will be some awkward moments en route for Liverpool. It won't be all plain sailing, but I, I, I just again, I can't see them. I can't see Inter Milan hurting them over two legs. It's and I don't want to sort of dismiss the sort of level of competition at this stage because we're talking about one of the the biggest clubs in the world, Inter Milan. But but they've been weakened since last season, effectively. They've you know they lost a hundred million pound striker to Chelsea, and they lost the the manager that that claimed Serie A with them to eventually to Spurs. And they've almost had to sort of scale down in terms of the finances for all that they've. When they lost, I mean, the loss of Hakimi as well to PSG, such a massive, massive difference for them. He was he was a supplier and a scorer from the on, from the right as well. So I don't think they will carry quite the same threat as they would have done last year. And, and last year, I don't think many English clubs would have been trembling at the prospect of playing them even then. So I think it's actually quite a it's a glamorous tie. It's a, it's a tie that 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 will have. You know, people wistfully thinking back to the glory days of of, of Inter against English clubs and, and Liverpool in particular. But, but I, I just I think on, when actually the teams are out there competing, I think it will probably prove a bit of a mismatch. I'm I'm really sorry. I'm not I'm not trying to dismiss all this level of competition. It's just sort of I just think that I think that there there are some great ties in in the Champions League. But I'm not sure they'll happen in this round necessarily. I think I think they will, the English clubs will be tested, really vehemently tested towards the end of the competition. But at the moment, it will be a major, major shock if any of them were eliminated. We're in a period of world-class centre-forwards who are going on forever and ever, aren't we? we talk about Messi and Ronaldo, Lewandowski as well into his 30s. Edin Dzeko's 35, but you'd never really put him on that same level of elite footballer, would you? The fact that he is, that we're still talking about him as one of Inter's chief goal threats, probably tells you what you need to know about where Inter are currently on the European stage, at least. Lautaro is a good player, isn't he? I mean, he's a, he's a he's a quality player, and and I think 
they they might have been a even they would that would have been a big asset for them to have to have shifted last summer if they were really needing to raise more funds. But as you say, yeah, I just I just look at them and think, well, you can get at them probably, and you you can probably prevail over. I mean, Liverpool shouldn't they won't be uh, they won't be having too many sleepless nights over two games against Inter. Mm. Talk about big games though, PSG Real Madrid, Tony. Basically, PSG have got to win it this season, haven't they? Yeah, and and they're not going to, are they? <laughs> Just, I mean, they're 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 they're, they're country miles clear in in Liga again, so they're kind of lacking competition there. And it just it, we've talked about this before. Nothing quite feels right about them at the moment. They've got this kind of they've got this kind of mini Galacticos feel about them with a manager who stands for everything that isn't that. And it just feels like Pochettino. I mean, he wouldn't say this, but it just feels like he's killing time before going on and doing another proper project, whether that's Tottenham 2 or something else, or dare we say Man United for about the hundredth time. But you look at PSG, Lionel Messi scored seven goals for them. He scored five goals for Argentina this season. You know, it's, he scored fewer <laughs> goals than Jared Bowen and Emmanuel Dennis. Like, and these are good players, but this is not, you know, Messi scored 100 goals a season for Barcelona and they weren't winning the Champions League. So why on earth does anybody think an older Messi scoring fewer goals in a worse team? It, why are they going to win the Champions League? You're like, I don't even think they'll beat Real Madrid, to be honest. But um, And there's so many questions about Mbappe's future. Like, nothing feels right at PSG. I mean, I, I could be proven wrong that happens most days, let alone seasons. But um, I just can't see them even coming close to winning the Champions League. There's proper team. You talk about Man City and Liverpool and Bayern as proper teams. PSG aren't a proper team. And I think you've got to be a proper team to win this. Mm, yeah, Pochettino, and it, it does. It does seem. He does seem sort of almost like temperamentally unsuited to a to a, a club like showbiz club like that. He says that Mbappe will make a decision about his future after the the Madrid tie. Dom, you know, the numbers are, are just insane at the moment, aren't they? Fifty million euros a year in salary. One, is he worth that type of investment? And two, who can pay it? English clubs, uh, to be honest, Real Madrid and, and even the way Barcelona are going at the moment, they could probably find money behind the back of a sofa somewhere to pay it. God knows where it would come from. But, you know, at 23 years old, Kylian Mbappe still has his best years ahead of him. He's clearly coming to the end of that cycle in, 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 in France. And I, I suspect he will end up in Spain, at, probably at Real. So this is basically the Kylian Mbappe derby. It's funny, PSG's a strange, it's just a strange club. It's all been flung together actually quite quickly, even though it feels as if Qatar has been on the on the scene now for a long time. It's, we're over over 10 years now, aren't we, of Qatari ownership at, at PSG. I, I, I know they've got like new training grounds in the pipeline and etc. but I, I suspect that, I suspect that if... You know, go back, go back a year. If you if you if you deposited a, a, a player from an elite club in England, like a, a City or a Chelsea or Liverpool, into into Camp de Lourdes at, at uh, in Paris on the outskirts of Paris, and sort of said, "This is your this is your new training ground. This is your new home," they would have been quite disappointed with everything they saw. It, it's it's it, it had the feel of. Of a club that have been thrown together, we have a lot of money, a lot of money, but we're going to we're going to put that in the playing staff. We actually the facilities, not so much. And I, I, these days, you almost have to go the other way. You have to do the city model. You have to build from the bottom. Chelsea did it as well. Chelsea redevelopment of Cobham, bringing it all up, and you're just creating this elite environment where everybody, elite players, mm. feel at home. I think if 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 PSG had almost had that in place, maybe they would have stood a chance of of someone like Kylian Mbappe committing his future well in, in, to the club for, for years and years and years to come. But actually, actually, there's no competition really domestically. I know they didn't win the, the title last year, but that, that was a, a blip and they've, they, they occasionally have these blips every, other, every four or five years at the moment. That they, they, like, they still feel like a team of individuals, even with a coach that would rail against that in Pochettino. And yeah, I I, I expect a, a Carlo Ancelotti Real Madrid to find a way to get past them, which would be that would be a, sh- a massive, massive shock. And a and that that there is your intrigue for the uh, for the Champions League knockout phase. Bayern are in Salzburg on Wednesday. They lost four two at, at Bochum at the weekend. Lewandowski 
score both their goals. Surprise, surprise. You you hinted earlier, Tony, that you you know, you regard Bayern, you know, amongst the elite. Uh, do you think they're the best non Premier League team? Probably, yeah. I mean, I think you know the two the, the Spanish giants and and PSG would probably have something to say about that, as probably with the Italian giants. But I think if you look at the current health of all those respective clubs financially and in terms of playing staff, you'd probably say Bayern are probably probably have the edge. They also just feel Nagelsmann seems to have gone in and, and you know further enhanced his reputation. They, I mean, they, they lost to the weekend, but they will win the Bundesliga. They will probably stroll past Salzburg in the next round of the Champions League. Although Salzburg are, you know, this is, <laughs> we talk about the, um, the production line of Portuguese players and Portuguese coaches, but uh, Matthias Jessler, who's, who's gone into Salzburg this season, uh, taken over from Jesse Marsh, seems to have kicked them onto another level. He looks like being maybe the next one to come off the Red Bull production line. So Bayern won't, won't probably have it all their own way. But again, you'd probably expect them to, to qualify quite easily in the end, yeah. What about Karim Adeyemi? The talk is that he's likely to join Dortmund in the summer. He's facing Bayern, where he started as an eight-year-old. Probably inevitably, Tony, he's being referred to as the new Haaland, isn't he? Well, I mean, you could try that. I think you'd probably people would be wrong to do so. He will follow the same trajectory as Haaland, having gone to Salzburg and then and then kicked on and, and gone to Dortmund for the next stage of his career. He's very different. He's a much smaller player than, than, than Haaland. Doesn't have that physical presence, but is extremely quick, extremely mobile. Can play anywhere across the front. Probably doesn't have Haaland's, as of yet, hasn't got Haaland's absolute ruthlessness in front of goal. But that might come. I mean, the, the shock from Haaland, well, not the shock, but the incredibly impressive thing was how he scored an absolute bucket load of goals for Salzburg over quite a short period, but in the Champions League as well as in the domestic in the domestic league. Challenge that Adi Amy's got, of course, to then is to is to he hasn't quite done the same on, on the Champions League level. He scored a few, not as many as Haaland, but can he kick on into a much more difficult league and continue to have the influence that Haaland's had? I mean, the interesting thing will be if Adeyemi goes to Dortmund, where does Haaland go next? He's another one. All eyes will be on him in the summer, I think. Can't wait to see. I think we'd all agree we'd love to have him in the Premier League. Quite where he'd go, who could afford him and where he might best fit in tactically is another question. But yeah, Adeyemi definitely looks like a prospect. Mm. With Haaland, Dom, and it is really strange to see Barcelona in the Europa League, isn't it? And Borussia Dortmund, for that matter. You know, you talked about their big sofa and, and, and the vast amounts of money that can be found behind it. Can you see Barcelona somehow getting the money for Haaland? It would be scandalous if that happened, really, wouldn't it? I mean, it just... Yeah. Given, given everything that's happened over the last fourteen months, I mean, it's not that it's under a year actually since the Super League fiasco. Anyway, so I mean, this, yeah, I mean, if if they if they suddenly conjured two hundred million pounds to, to to sign a player like him, I mean, I'm still slightly flabbergasted they can afford Obama Yang's weekly salary, uh, even even on a slightly reduced rate uh, with Arsenal supplementing it. But uh, I suppose nothing is outlandish when you come to the the finances of, of Barcelona or indeed Real Madrid. But I, I I would would imagine that if Haaland does leave for top money, that he would come to England. And this is I'm I'm starting to sound a bit like a little Englander here where everything is everything's based around the Premier League. But I just think that, you know, when you've got a a club like Manchester City who we've spoken about so many times about the lack of a number nine. I mean, surely there would be a way of incorporating a player of his quality into that lineup. Manchester United are always liable to do something daft in terms of spending in in the window. So maybe maybe there's there's another option there. And 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 you can't really you can't re- rule out something from Chelsea either because Chelsea have had a long-standing interest in him as well, despite spending a hundred million pounds on on Romelu Lukaku. It just feels as if he would be England-bound rather than Spain. Mm. Well, Barcelona are at home to Napoli on Thursday, whereas Rangers will have to counteract Haaland in Dortmund. Uh, Good luck with that, Uh, Tony. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, Giovanni van Bronckhorst has kind of came with with a great amount of fanfare at Rangers after Steven Gerrard departed for Aston Villa. And... Kind of Gerard in a way had had the best time of Rangers. He had a kind of three year spell where so little was expected. He had a kind of free hit, and in the end, 
finally knocked Celtic off their perch. The problem that Van Bronckhorst has got is that within weeks of him coming in, Celtic have gone back to their perch. Almost Postacoglu has kind of had a slow start, but seems to have had a real influence in last in the last couple of months. And Celtic are absolutely flying. Nowhere better seen than when they when they battered Rangers in the old firm game a few weeks ago. So, in a strange way, I don't think it would be a terrible thing. I mean, you know, you don't go out of a competition, but for Van Bronckhorst and Rangers to be able to turn their focus back on the Scottish Premiership, which is what they really want, rather than have an extended run in a tournament they probably won't win. That probably sounds quite cynical, but hey, that's football. Mm, yeah. Leicester, Dom, are at home to Randers in the conference, which is the competition that Dom Rogers uh, affected to uh, know nothing about. The irony here, isn't it, that in a disappointing season, a European trophy, however humble and, and maligned it is, would actually be you know, quite a significant addition to his CV, which is not looking that um, uh, convincing at the moment, is it? Yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, it's it's been a funny old season for for Leicester City and and, and Rodgers. After two years of finishing fifth, they, they do feel as if they've taken a few steps back this this year. They they have struggled defensively. They're they're still a shambles, as was illustrated by by West Ham again at the weekend. And that that weakness at set plays just he hasn't addressed. I mean, the simple the simple fact is that he's he's been talking about it plenty of times. This season, and he and he still hasn't found a way of of maybe it's continuity at the back in terms of the personnel, but simply hasn't found a way of of competing at set plays and 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 making Leicester watertight in that in that regard. So yeah, beating I mean they should overcome the side that are, I think is fifth in in Denmark over over two legs, and then they can progress on and maybe the competition that. He knew nothing about. Suddenly, does become this opportunity for for Leicester City. Silverware is silverware. I mean, he, you know, if he can follow it up with another trophy on the back of last season's FA Cup, then then actually, it's a bit of a sweetener to what has been a, a, a difficult campaign in the in in the Premier League. There's a lot of potential as players come back into that Leicester City team. You would imagine they would get stronger as the competition goes on as well. So, so there is a chance, but. At some point, he will have to start prioritising it, and I presume it will be after they, they've overcome the Danes. I back up. It's almost the opposite to Van Bronckhorst, isn't it? Where their the Leicester's league campaign is as good as done. They're not going down, and they're not going to be in the Champions League this season. They obviously still want to win as many games as they can, but they've got a free hit at this trophy that he'd never heard of. I mean, it was obviously it was obviously a disingenuous comment that was meant to appease appease people who were annoyed that this competition even exists. But I think his, his tune will certainly change once they, if the, if and when they get past Randers. Mm, yeah, you talk about silverware being silverware, Dom. Uh, Chelsea will play Lille next week as world club champions. Yeah, long and short of it, it was a terrible final, wasn't it? No intensity or cohesion, no sense of real occasion. Yet, you know, the fact remains that Chelsea are only the fifth club to win every major trophy after United, Bayern, Juventus, and Ajax. Yeah, which is. Remarkable and, and testament to the level of investment that Roman Abramovich has put into that club. I, sense of occasion, I, I don't know. I think I suspect the people who were there would would contest that. It, the Palmeiras fans would definitely contest that. The fifteen thousand of them within the, the stadium, a lot of interest in South America, a lot of interest in Brazil. Not all pro Palmeiras. I think Sao Paulo and Corinthians would have been. Desperate for their local rivals to to lose, yeah, it was a a bit of an anticlimax of a, of a final, but that, I suppose that's what happens when you play against a an ultra defensive team as Palmeiras are. I mean, they 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 really it's low block, it's it's organisation, it's it's hitting people on the on the counter, and as has been proved plenty of times in the Premier League this season, that that isn't really what Chelsea like to play against. They're not they're not altogether convincing at times when they have to unlock a stubborn defence. But they, they got through. And I th- thought the best, the absolutely hands down best moment of the of the final was Azpilicueta's claiming of the the ball at the penalty and, and allowing all the Palmeiras players to direct their gamesmanship at him and everything they said at him. And then then just handing it to to Havertz once the, the referee had finally imposed some kind of control on the penalty area. I thought that was... A very canny tactic, and 
it'll be interesting to see whether teams adopt that more in the Premier League as well, having seen it. Because weirdly, that, that sort of crowding an opponent at a penalty is something that Chelsea really do as well. They really, they're quite cynical about that. They, they, they will intimidate. So maybe teams will start using it against them in the, in the weeks and months to come as well. Yeah, I think it's probably easier to uh, easier to do, isn't it, when you are playing a team that you rarely play, as in Palmeiras. Whereas if you're in the Premier League, well, you know, it's 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 out there on a daily, hourly basis, isn't it? With that, Kai Havertz, you know, he did score the winning penalty. A really happy knack of scoring on the biggest occasions, hasn't he? I mean, he's no Divock Origi, but. Um... <laughs> but then I would say that uh, yeah he's a he's a I think I don't think any Chelsea fan would even claim that Havertz has had the impact week in week out that they would have hoped when they brought him in but there's absolutely no doubting his quality and I think the, the, the goal he scored in the Champions League final was just a, a really clever classy finish a penalty is a penalty but it was one of those where you never really had much doubt he was going to miss did you I, I watched you thinking no he's going to score this and, and lo and behold he did I think that Havertz is, and I think he hasn't been bad, but I think Havertz's issue at Chelsea is kind of Chelsea's issue currently. It's just what are they going forward? Obviously, question mark over over Lukaku in terms of what he's achieved since he came back. But they won the Champions League without him with just a lot of kind of mobile forward players taking up all sorts of different positions. It feels like him being there has kind of made things maybe a kind of a, a, a touch more static around him. But um I mean, Havertz is a wonderful footballer and it feels like he'll he'll get better over time. You know, this is only still his second season and there had been quite a lot of change at the club in that time, as as is tends to be the case at Chelsea. Um, I do find it... I mean, it's, it's really interesting debate as to over sort of club, what makes a club legend. I mean, you're, you're right. Kai Havertz hasn't really... When you look at his sort of the bare numbers or indeed his performances in the Premier League, you wouldn't ever say that he's... He's established himself in the folklore of Chelsea Football Club, but to score a winning goal in the Champions League and then following up with a, a winning goal in the FIFA World Cup, you know, okay, so, you know that for us that that competition doesn't mean a lot, but but for Chelsea it means a lot now at the moment. Did it mean a lot for Liverpool in 2019 when they beat Flamengo? I, I imagine it probably did when they won it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's one of those games. Where it's, it's. I mean, I think. The, the irony of it is that the, the South American teams care significant, particularly the Brazilian teams, as you've said, care a lot more about this tournament, and yet they never win it. Corinthians, we had it's funny we we published a, a masterclass with Tito Chiche, uh, now the Brazilian coach. He was Corinthians head coach when they beat Chelsea in twenty twenty twelve, and they he he talked about the fact that for three or four months before the tournament their league form dipped because all they could think about was going to the FIFA Club World Cup and kind of winning this this coveted prize. Mm-hmm. And yet, for, for, for I mean, I, don't, I actually couldn't speak for the European teams, but when English teams get there, it just feels like an inconvenience that gets in the way of, of, of Premier League fixtures. But then when you win it, you know, it's, it's not... There's a lot of debate over it's you know it's a Mickey Mouse trophy. It's easy to win because there's only like four. You only play two games and, you know, one of those is against, you know, an Arab team or an Asian team or whatever. Obviously, the problem is not winning it. The problem is getting there in the first place. Yeah, exactly. You have yes, to be you have to be the continental winners to win this. So you don't get many chances to do it. It was one of it was a trophy that Chelsea hadn't won. They'd been there before, much like the Champions League. They'd been there before, lost it. They knew what it meant. They knew what it meant to them, and they've won it now. So absolutely brilliant. Um, and like you say, Havertz goes down in history as a guy who scored a winning goal in two two of the biggest tournaments in the world, one of which has completed the set for Chelsea. So, yeah, I mean, I joke about Origi, but he is currently at that kind of level, isn't he? It's just a matter of whether he can do it. I mean, the funny thing is, if, you, if you're picking a... If you're, I mean, I, I'm not a Chelsea fan, but obviously we all, we all know a lot about them. If you're picking a team to start a Champions League final, Kai Havertz surely has to be in it somewhere. But then if everyone's fit and firing, is he? I actually don't know. I actually don't know. There have been sort of signs of some kind of relationship maybe forming between Lukaku and Havertz, possibly more than with the, with the other forwards. I mean, Werner it just hasn't really worked coherently. Maybe Hudson-Odoi, you could argue, Mason Mount to a certain extent. But but you look at those two players and, and Havertz does have the presence and the, the poise and clearly he's got the ability. He should be making more of a an impact. But then again, again, he's had two doses, I think it's two, maybe even three doses of COVID. He's had difficulties adjusting it's been a very strange time to be 
to be coming to a to a new country, and I think we probably have to give these guys a bit of leeway in in, in that regard as well. And he's young; his 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 time will come. It's funny. I mean, I I was in Tokyo in twenty twelve for the Corinthians game, and 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 in Tokyo again in two thousand and five for the the game where that that Liverpool lost to Sao Paulo. Both occasions where you'd say that the English team absolutely dominated the occasion, absolutely dominated the match, and the Brazilian side sat deep were cagey, kept it tight as much as they possibly could and then hit them on the counter. And it's, just, it's exactly what Palmeiras tried to do against Chelsea and, and ultimately failed. And for that reason, those finals are never good, are they? That's Very rarely entertaining right. occasions. And there is, that is kind of born out of a, again, you don't want to sound too kind of little England or little Europe, but there is that sense of inferiority from the South American teams. I feel like they have to set up like that to win the game. They think if they if they go all out, then these the, the European teams will just pick them off themselves. So they'd rather sit back in that low block. And the result, as you say, Dom, is that you end up getting anticlimactic games, which isn't great for the neutral when it's supposed to be a kind of major when you know FIFA's headlining club tournament. Mm. Look at domestic issues. If we just could, please, Dom. Manchester United. You know, next week they're due in in Madrid to play Atletico. They're shoehorning a Premier League game against Brighton into. You know, the normal European week. That looks like a mixed blessing at the moment, doesn't it? I'm not even sure it's a mixed blessing, to be honest. I I, I would really dread that fixture if I was a Manchester United supporter. Brighton, Brighton are a, a very, very, very good football team. A really good team. And they've... They've really, after that long run where they, they didn't lose many, but they, they didn't win any. I think it was 11 games. Mm. They've they've hit their hit their stride again. They play some. I mean, we all know that the Potter teams play play good football, but they're incisive as well. I think the fact that he left the Basuma out from the start at Vicarage Road brought him on. He made an impact when he came on. I think he has the he has the capacity to 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 hurt Manchester United's midfield to dominate Manchester United's midfield, given what a a sort of mishmash, an angry mishmash of a team Manchester United have become, they're coming up against a side who are the polar opposite of that. They they know what they're, they're doing. They're well drilled. They're at ease with themselves and with each other. They're incisive, slick, and they have a, a lot of quality. And, and, you know, that it's not a banana skin. It's actually, if you actually look at the, the form almost of, of these teams, I know... Brighton went out the FA Cup at, at Spurs, but but if you look at the league form and the, the way the teams are playing, actually getting a result would be quite an achievement for Manchester United at the moment from this game. Mm. You know, I think we both have agreed in the past, Tony, that we admire Ralph Ranick for what he's done and um, the principles he seeks to impose. Yet, you look at him now. And he looks powerless to impose himself on what is really a self-entitled, whiny squad, isn't it? Yeah, that's the way it looks. I mean, you just look, you just look at their demeanour on the pitch across, across the whole team. They just look so, I mean, unhappy for want of a better word. I mean, Marcus Rashford just looks like he's in a permanent funk. We saw Luke Shaw come out a few weeks and have a pop at somebody. We just, we just don't know who that might be. Ronaldo's throwing his arms up, which is kind of, you know, that's no different to what he's always done. Wouldn't wouldn't look too far beyond that. Fernandez, Pogba. I actually watched it's all I think it's all too easy to kind of just throw throw the same criticisms at, at the whole team. I actually watched Fernandez quite a lot at the weekend. He tracked back lots. Like he worked he worked pretty hard, much harder than than some of the others. But then the problem is if if he's tracking back 50 yards then he's not influencing the, the play higher up the pitch. But Maguire looks to be in really, really poor form at the moment, lacking confidence and trying to kind of fight his way out of it at times. Doesn't doesn't really look that convincing, and it, it just looks that too many players are either out of form on the pitch or out of form off the pitch for Ragnick to really get the buy-in that he requires to build. You know, Ragnick's pedigree we've discussed this plenty is building things over a number of seasons with young, hungry players. That's not the template of what he has in large part at Manchester United. And of course, there's also the, the cloud hanging over him and the club that he's in for this temporary amount of time. It just feels like 
a set of players, and I suspect someone like Roy Keane would agree with this. It feels like a set of players who have thrown a number of coaches under the bus and are just waiting for this one, for the next bus to come along for them to push Ragnik underneath it, (laughs) which is a disaster for everyone. And we've talked about this before. Clarity is a word that comes up in coaching all the time. And as Dom says, Brighton must be an absolute nightmare of a team for United to, 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 to have to face him before Atletico because they are a team and a squad that play that just absolutely have clarity oozing out of every pore. On the flip side for United, if they do, if they can get a result, if they can chuck in a win, then it, then it gives them a bit of momentum and a, and a bit of a morale boost going into the following week. But you'd be a brave man to expect that at the moment, I think. Because mm. there are so many recurring issues here, aren't there, Dom? You know, you, the pattern is lose the lead, lose your shape, lose your conviction. Okay, we can we can look at you know varying views about effort or lack of it. They certainly seem to I think it was five they ran collectively five kilometres less than Southampton at Old Trafford. I'm gonna give you your four million pounds a year, Dom. Uh your manager there, what do you do? What type of team do you actually put out? The problem is they've, they've they've brought in a manager who wants to play one way, and I just don't. And it's and it's it's high press, it's it's high energy, etc. And and if if the players aren't geared up to do that, as in they're not fit enough to do that yet, as as Ralph Hasenhutl said post match, you're not going to be suddenly perform miracles. You can't suddenly make somebody super fit overnight if they're not if they've been working towards a different style for half a season, then. It's almost like you're treading water until the end of the season when you can get your proper pre-season underway and you can you can you can work your players towards a set routine. And, and the reality is, he he may not he's he's not meant to be in charge next season when when you know he somebody has had a pre-season to work with these guys. So, I, I, weirdly, it's the, the high pressure game. That's sorry, the high press game it doesn't seem to be the most obvious one to implement mid-season. It, it's it just seems improbable that it's going to work. And, and Hasenhutl, I mean, Southampton do it brilliantly, by the way. They're, they are, they're, they're really underrated. And, they, and actually, I think their, their league position is, even in the top half of the table, clinging onto that top half place, it's, it's probably a bit deceptive because they should be further up. They, they've got real quality. They've got real energy. And a bit like Brighton, they're sort of at ease with what they want to do. Whereas everything that United are doing at the moment is grating. It's It's... It's players trying to do things that they're not really physically capable of doing at the moment. Maybe they would be in time. Maybe again with proper preparation and and a, you know that that month long or six week long period in the summer where they can work on fitness to get up to this and get familiar with the style. But it's been imposed on them mid season. It almost feels as if the only way now is to try and I don't know revert back to something that they're more familiar with. But I, that wasn't working in the first place. So. One, yes. one thing I would say is to play devil's advocate for a minute with, with both you, Dom, and, and myself probably, is that their XG against Southampton, that much maligned stat, was actually 3.4-something, I think I read, 3.42. They, now, Middlesbrough, Burnley and Southampton are not the most imposing set of fixtures, and you should be winning all three, really, no matter even, even regardless of how well Hassan Hoodle's doing at Southampton. But all three of those games could arguably have been done by half-time. And it feels like if they do go two or three up, then they can afford to sit in a lower block and play a slightly more conservative, physically less stressful form of football. And they can then see those games out. The problem they're having is that they're conceding goals, they're losing the lead, and then they're having to, to pick it up again. And that's where they're struggling. And that, 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 I mean, I'm saying play devil's advocate in terms of winning games, but actually that feeds exactly to the point you just made, Don, of that I think it's their physicality it's their inability to then pick up and go again when they need to in second halves of games that is currently not there. That you feel if after twelve or eighteen months of Ralph Ragnick, maybe that would be the, that that would be there. The problem is, are they going to have twelve or eighteen months of Ralph Ragnick? And even if he is there as a consultant, are they going to have a Ragnick-style coach come in and play that type of football? You just don't know. I mean, the most effective United have been in recent times have been when they have played counter-attacking football and used the express pace they've got, sat deep, soaked up pressure. And kicked on on the counterattacks. Why their results have been pretty good against some of the better teams, and why they've struggled to break down lower blocks against against lower teams. So, I mean, it feels like <laughs> it feels like we're talking about Man United all the time in a time when kind of Man City are possibly the best club team in Europe and the world, and still United are managing to dominate the narrative. But I guess that's the, the nature of the beast of United, isn't it? 
Well, <clears throat> what is it? They've spent United have spent I think it's six hundred and forty million pounds, and in a period in which City I think have won ten trophies. You know what's in the number there? Just to draw it all together, chaps. Really, you know, we've obviously spoken a lot about the Champions League. You know, from a personal point of view, I can see, although Atletico are having a pretty rotten time at the moment, I can still see them beating United. When we get to, you know, we're at the business end now, beginning at the, sort of the end of the beginning, if you like, of the tournament. Make your mind up, time. Who do you think will win the Champions League this season, Tony? It would be wrong of me. Yeah, no, Liverpool. Are gonna, Liverpool are going to win it. <laughs> I just see. I can just see Pep overthinking it again against somebody along along the line. And I just think for all for all our chat about Chelsea being a, a brilliant kind of cup winning team and Tuchel being a great coach, I'm just not convinced. Not convinced they're quite where they need to be to make a really sustained challenge for it this season. So I'm going to go Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. The way I've taught them up so much, I should probably say Brighton. But, um, <laughs> um, I think it will be an come, English club. <laughs> I'll never be forgiven by the Palace fan base now. It, it'll, I think it'll be an English team. I think, I think Bayern will, be, will, will push the English sides, but, but, but I'll choose between City and Liverpool. And um, I better go City then, just for just to be even, eh? Mm. Okay, well, look, there are so many variables, aren't they? You know, most notably the luck of the draw here. Unlike Tony, I'm not a Liverpool fan, but I see no reason to change my original suggestion that Liverpool will be European champions for the seventh time in St. Petersburg in late May. You know, I, I sort of refer to them as a bit of a fire and ice team. Their emotional intensity is matched by their ability to think coldly and make the right decisions under the biggest pressure. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good combination. Do you agree with me? I suspect many won't, but hey, that's football, I suppose, isn't it? In the meantime, thanks to Dom and to Tony for their insight, and thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 